Welcome to episode 22 of the Benzo Rehab Dungeon. I am your host, Michael Debs. Joining me as always and forever is uh, uh, Denko Suvin. I know you just told me. You just told the listener. But I was planning to ask this to begin with. Okay. How much longer must this go on? Oh man, it's it's uh, <laughs> eternal. At least until the end of Earth, which is anywhere between Always. like the next ten to fifteen years, I think. Always and forever. Yeah, that's rough. You know, actually, that's a really good uh, way to segue <laughs> into our, our our topic for today, right? Yeah, because this is um, you, you caught on to that uh, that beautiful. Uh, <laughs> well, you're saying well, you, you, reference. You're saying I, always and forever. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're talking about it on a, a kind of a relative time scale. Right. Yeah. But I mean, our topic today, which is. Is it somewhat related to relativism, relativism, but I think people confuse it with relativism. Oh, for sure. What What is the topic for today, by the way? Uh, the topic for today is uh, postmodernism, <sighs> which is. Uh, a subject everybody understands. Everybody does. And everybody enjoys a lot. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, the, the best thing about postmodernism, I think, is that um, it's one of those rare topics where only people that know it well talk about it. That is, well, there's also Jordan Peterson. There's also Jordan Peterson, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's people who understand it well. Who talk about it a lot. And there's Jordan Peterson who also talks about it let a me, lot. <laughs> let me clarify what I've said, which is uh, simply that uh, no one that talks about postmodernism a lot understands postmodernism. It's not a... Th- no. Absolutely no, fair not. Enough, yeah. Absolutely not. Fair enough. And, and it's uh, it's not worth talking about, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Right? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Just to put it to bed. <laughs> you know? Let's put this fucking asshole concept right to sleep. Oh, my God. Um, would you, uh, we, we can start this one or one or one or two ways. I think you know how we should start it, but, but go ahead. And one idea for starting it is, uh, playing this, mm-hmm. uh, this introduction video to yes. Jordan Peterson's 12 more ways to live your life after he's, uh, really done a bad job at living life. It's a, it's a kind of a, uh, sloppy title is it's awkward sounding yeah, beyond order yeah. 12 more rules for life that's yeah. uh, that's the title of his new book i mean i get it i understand all the logic to behind the namings and stuff uh, so th- but, thematically you know mm-hmm. um this this podcast was started uh, as a uh not necessarily just a rebuttal to but also making fun of jordan peterson so oh, yeah. i think thematically it would make sense to uh to play this video and maybe talk about it for for a moment or two right i mean so the it back back in its uh 
totally zygotic stage. <laughs> um, the uh, the the plan that I think that we had for this podcast uh, was that we would do like a, a March Madness uh, kind of like a, uh, just a bracket, and right. we had we were trying to find the perfect postmodern neo Marxist, right. Yeah. Uh, based on you know what what Jordan Peterson uh, that his his weird his weird phrase you know being exactly that postmodern neo Marxism which um, is not a thing uh, and so we needed to find out who this person he was talking about was we were going to do kind of like a, a deep dive into one character each time in order to kind of sort out like who the postmodern neo Marxist is um, but uh, I guess I guess the conceit of it the whole time would be that he would be the one that won. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, that, that that was that was what we ultimately settled on. Was no matter what happened in in these discussions, was uh, Jordan Peterson would be the ultimate postmodern neo Marxist because I mean, Molyneux and Stephen Crowder and stuff could maybe make it. It's yeah, possible, but, but you know, neither one of them is talking about that. Uh, no, uh, Molyneux doesn't. Does he? Oh, for sure. Oh, uh, no, yeah, yeah sure. no, I guess you're right. I guess you're right on that. But Molyneux was like falling out of. Uh, Sadly. Limelight. Sadly. He was a real so sad he was a winner, yes. Yeah. And uh Crowder also, doesn't have the the like intellect to even say no, any of those words. Absolutely not. No. So <laughs> you know, um fun fact about all three of those men. Okay, go ahead. Uh, is yeah. first off they are men and they're white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are straight, and I, I think they're cis. But those were all things that came to my mind later. Uh but but because we're in the id poll here, uh, uh, yes. desperately. We, we but, love id poll. But most important bit of id poll about all three of these men is they're all Canadian. <laughs> yeah. And I would ask no, no, Canada no. to stop sending them over here. That, that is that is something that I've I've mentioned a couple of times in the uh, in the uh, Benzo Rehab Dungeon Instagram uh, <sighs> stories that uh, Canada seems to export all of its worst uh, members of society to to america right i <sighs> because because there's, there's there's all three of the guys you mentioned there's also like lauren southern oh lord um i'm blanking but there, there there's i know another uh, another uh uh i mean pr- pretty pretty cool canadian expat that uh uh, Cronberg. Uh, yeah, Kronberg. That, that's, yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I will say this though, and okay. it's it's true. Uh, and these <sighs> Ted Cruz. Okay. Ted Cruz is also a oh, Canadian. Right. Uh, but, but, but but export. When Canada sends its people, they're not they're not sending, sending their, their best. best. Oh. <laughs> uh, they're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're 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 sending people that have lots of problems, and yeah. they're bringing those uh, problems with us. Uh, they're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're they're rapists, and some oh, no. I assume are, are are good postmodern neo-Marxist people. <laughs> uh, well, there there is no such thing as a good postmodern neo-Marxist. Well, let's <laughs> uh, um, yes, all right, yeah. Let's let's listen to, uh, let's listen to Jordan, Jordan Peterson's uh, book announcement. Uh, Beyond order, twelve more rules for life. Mm. Uh, I apologize in advance for for how broken uh, Jordan Peterson sounds. Man, yeah, fuck. All right, yeah. we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we don't have a choice. <laughs> it's uh, it's oh. it's uh, it's good. Let's hit the mic with my face. Hi. Hi. I'd like to announce my new book, 
Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, which I've been working on diligently for the past three years. <laughs> Somebody's in the comments. As of today, the book is available for pre-order in the US, the UK, and Canada. I've linked to some major retailers, including international <laughs> links for Amazon, in the video's description below. I've also included the link to the Beyond Order page on my website, jordanbpeterson.com, where links Dot to book com. retailers in different countries <laughs> cool. will be posted as they become available. Beyond Order will also be published as an ebook and as an audiobook, which I have nearly finished recording. All formats will be released on Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. I want to provide you with a sense of the book, in addition to announcing its existence. So I thought I would read you a section from the overture. This kind of seems like the weirdest which way Which describes possible. the book's contents right. in some the detail. Which, uh... Beyond Order, 12 More <laughs> Rules for Life. His, his bottom row of teeth Why is chaotic, beyond order? Oh, yeah. oh, it is. Yeah. It is simple in some regard. I mean, Sam, kind of. Order is explored territory. No. We are in order when the actions we deem appropriate produce the results we aim at. We regard such outcomes positively, indicating as they do, first, that we have moved closer to what we desire, and second, that our theory about how the world works remains acceptably accurate. <laughs> Nonetheless, all states of order, no matter how secure and comfortable, have their flaws. Our knowledge of how to act in the world remains eternally incomplete, Partly because of our profound ignorance of the vast unknown, partly because of our willful blindness, and partly because the He's world right. continues in its uh -huh. entropic manner to transform itself unexpectedly. Furthermore, the order we strive to impose on the world can rigidify as a consequence of ill-advised attempts to eradicate from consideration all that is unknown. When such attempts go too far, totalitarianism threatens, driven by the desire to exercise full control. Oh, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm really sorry. Could possible, you even in principle? Because that was that was so important. Could you could you rewind it maybe 20, 30 seconds? Um, just I I, I'm just gonna have you do it one time. I'm not gonna keep on doing this. <laughs> yeah, so that's 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 key. We strive to impose on the world can rigidify as a consequence of ill-advised attempts to eradicate from consideration all that is unknown. Mm -hmm. When such attempts go too far, totalitarianism threatens, driven yeah. by the desire to exercise right. full control Excellent. where such control is not possible, even in principle. This means risking a dangerous restriction of all the psychological and social changes necessary to maintain adaptation to the ever-changing world. And so we find ourselves inescapably faced with the need to move beyond order into its opposite, <clears throat> chaos. Mm. If order is where what we want makes itself known when we act in accordance with our hard-won wisdom, chaos is where what we do not expect or have remained blind to leaps forward from the potential that surrounds us. Mm. The fact yes. that something has occurred many times in the past chaos. is no guarantee that it will continue to occur in the same manner. Mm -hmm. There exists eternally a domain beyond what we know and can predict. Chaos is anomaly, <laughs> novelty, unpredictability, transformation, disruption, and all too often descent, as what we have come to take for granted reveals itself as unreliable. Sometimes it manifests itself gently, revealing its mysteries in experience that makes us curious, compelled, and interested. 
This is particularly likely, although not inevitable, when we approach what we do not understand voluntarily with careful preparation and discipline. Other times, the unexpected makes itself known terribly, suddenly, accidentally, so we are undone and fall apart and can only put ourselves back together with great difficulty, if at all. <clears throat> Neither the state of order nor the state of chaos is preferable intrinsically to the other. That is the wrong way to look at it. Nonetheless, in my previous book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, I this focus more on how the consequences really of too much chaos might be remediated. <laughs> we respond to sudden and unpredictable change by preparing physiologically and psychologically for the worst. And because only God himself knows what this worst might be, we must in our ignorance prepare for all eventualities. And the problem with that continual preparation is that, in excess, it exhausts us. But that does not imply in any manner that chaos should be eliminated, an impossibility in any case, although what is unknown needs to be managed carefully, as my previous book repeatedly stressed. Whatever is not touched by the new stagnates, and it is certainly the case that a life without curiosity that instinct pushing us out into the unknown would be a much diminished form of existence. What is new is also what is exciting, compelling, and provocative, assuming mm -hmm. that the rate at which it is introduced does not intolerably undermine and destabilize our state of being. Like 12 Rules for Life, the current volume provides an explication of rules drawn from a longer list of 42, originally published and popularized on the Q&A website Quora. <laughs> Unlike my previous book, Beyond Order explores as its overarching theme of the dangers the of too much security because what we understand is insufficient, as we discover when things we are striving to control website every 14-year-old goes to once their boner does something weird. within order while stretching what, the other tentatively into the beyond. <laughs> And so we are driven to explore and find the deepest of meanings in standing on the frontier, secure enough to keep our fear under control, but learning, constantly learning, as we face what we have not yet made peace oh, with man. or adapted to. It is this instinct of meaning, something far deeper mm -hmm. than mere thought, that orients us properly in life so that we do not become overwhelmed by what is beyond us, or, equally dangerously, stultified and stunted by dated, too narrow, or too pridefully paraded systems of value and belief. What have I written about, more specifically? <laughs> Rule 1 no describes one the relationship between stable, predictable social structures and individual psychological health, and makes the case that such structures need to be updated by creative people if they are to retain their vitality. What's up? What's no, up? I mean, just. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, and, I, and I'm trying to hold off until the end. But what, 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 what do you got? What's up? Oh, I don't. Fuck, man, it's um. Let's let's wow. let's uh let's let's replay rule one real quick. Okay, okay. What have I written about more specifically? <laughs> Such a great question. Rule one describes the relationship between stable, predictable social structures and individual psychological health. And makes the case that such structures need to be updated by creative people if they are to retain their vitality. So, 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 yeah. rule one is: uh, um, uh, if uh, life is stable, mm -hmm. you're gonna have a better time. 
That, I mean, I'm uh, like, am I wrong? Like, did, I'm, I'm, didn't he just say that? And like, wait, have, 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 but I'm sorry. Complete your thought. If life is is stable, then what? Oh, if life is more stable, you're gonna have a better time, oh. like mentally. Oh, like, right. That, in that's general. all. That's all he's saying. Well, he's saying he's saying something that's really bizarre, and it's based on this really odd metaphysics that he 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 has, uh, which maybe I should just laid out now instead of doing it at the end but yeah he's essentially saying if life is stable it's good for your brain but also that creative people need it to be a little unstable and right they need to be and, at the frontier and that's, of it, right? that's that's where that's where the uh the point of contention comes into to his own little like rule thing that he's making up right because but, none of that makes sense if you like really pair it together <laughs> right i i mean i i guess and and if, if i try to be like an affirmative listener and stuff i i, I guess what he's trying to say is that uh stability is good but you need to reach like the the boundaries of it so that you can create well because creation requires chaos uh, we know that he's like a reader of nietzsche he's not a great reader of nietzsche but he is no. a reader of nietzsche yeah. and that's like kind of foundational to to his philosophy but but the so the thing that's amazing about the first fucking like six minutes of this thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> is the fact that he just keeps on circling around over and over again uh this this bizarre way of thinking about the way that the world is constructed right where he uh he's nearing postmodernism. he and he's 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 attempting to grapple with this new horrifying truth that he can't accept so he's kind of it's it's a fun meta narrative thing uh sorry not meta narrative because we'll, we'll talk about what those are later uh but it's a meta kind of narrative uh throughout this You're right. um and and what he's saying he believes about reality is that we we get a pragmatically decent understanding of reality and then things function well in society and, and culture is, is, is decent and stuff because it's stable. And then something foundationally changes about the ontic reality that we live in. Not, not the way we understand it changes, but somehow reality itself changes. This is the only way for his, like his, his claims to be working here that reality itself changes. And then we have to adjust or adapt to it because he's, <laughs> he's not able to understand that our, our knowledge of things is what actually changes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he's, he, he has this weird neo pragmatist, bizarro, understanding of how the world actually works because uh, he's uh, apparently also a bad Jungian <laughs> and and it seems like a bad psychologist because he he seems to think that it is constantly the world that is just mutating and changing rather than human understanding of it and it's it's so weird and it's contradictory because it, it would almost be consistent if he actually believed all those things uh, th this whole network would almost work and this whole process, it, all of his thinking would almost work, but it still relies on the fact that our understanding of the world can be more or less accurate, right? And so he's really convoluting the way that epistemology and ontology work because we somehow don't live in a stable universe, because the postmodernists, as we'll, as we'll, we'll describe later, postmodernists exist inside of an unstable epistemology. And epistemology, for the, the listener that doesn't know, is just, you know, a, a logic of understanding. It's, it's, it's the, the uh, philosophy or the school of, of uh, how we know what we know or whether we know what we know. 
And and that's the real problem inside of postmodernism is that epistemology is is lacking or limited or unstable or 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 multiplicitous. Um, and he he spends his entire time avoiding that fact, right? And he's just desperate to be like, no, 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 no. The all of really society as a whole comes to an understanding that's stable enough, and then somehow reality itself changes and we're thrown into chaos. But sometimes that chaos is a little bit good. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it uh it drives new uh things. And that could only be possibly true if epistemology was unstable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. We're we're on we're on rule one of twelve. He doesn't go through all twelve, does he? Does he? Yeah, he does. Oh, oh my he, god. He, yeah. he he uh Gives a gives an overview of all twelve. I listened through this twice, and I still it still runs through my head like diarrhea. It oh just, yeah, no, 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 it's it's uh that that's the way it should run through your head. Yeah, it's epistemically uh, uh, untenable. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Rule two analyzes <laughs> a centuries-old alchemical image, relying on several stories, ancient and modern, to illuminate the nature and development of the integrated human personality. What the fuck Rule is that? Rule three <laughs> warns of the dangers of avoiding oh, information that that vital to the continued <laughs> yeah. No, he offers no explanation. It's, yeah, and and, and uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, like alchemical, uh, he, he mm. talks about like what uh, old al- alchemical drawings about the the human form. None of right. that's fucking like legitimate or real. I mean, so. Uh no, uh, no, no. yeah, yeah. It's, it's all it's all kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean Deleuze and Guattari do do some fun stuff with alchemy. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but and so not, does uh... Young. Um, but they do it in ways that you know it's it's kind of understanding that these are metaphorical, which I think maybe Peterson understands it, but I don't know. <laughs> but he, but he doesn't he doesn't say that one <laughs> right and, and, and another thing about him is that i'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm more and more confused about his epistemology because he he is known for saying things that there are like two types of true there's like uh, there's there's true like a tool a pragmatic true and uh-huh. there's true as in like an actual like one-to-one uh you know epistemontic relation between reality and and the statement um but it's for him to hold both of those true, and I think he does think that they're true, he needs to adjust fundamentally pretty much everything that he's said so far, right? It's really confusing and broken up. It's, yeah, it's just a fucking mess. But yeah, I mean, the alchemical stuff works if he wants to be that guy who's like we do live in a broken epistemology we do not live in a, a but, space where like yeah there's he's a one to one he's not but so. he's he is though until he's not and then he's he's he yeah it's well, yeah, totally he's inconsistent ideologically inconsistent absolutely inconsistent and it's so bizarre but also based on everything that he said so far like you know, human beings being kind of more or less multiple and, <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, approaching new boundaries I bet, and I limits. Bet writing the book was easy because there were many of them. <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> and, and alchemy and stuff, it sounds like he, uh, he, 
he needs to, if he hasn't already, start reading Deleuze and Guattari because it would fucking blow his mind. It would be the funniest fucking thing on the face of the earth to watch him transform. <laughs> Even just, I mean, there, there are right wing, like, um, uh, fascistic or, or conservative Deleuzeans. schizophrenic thinker. Right. There, there are right wing Deleuzeans. Yeah, of course there. But... And I feel like that's honestly, he's kind of edging towards that in a weird way that still doesn't work. But well, I assume, you know, like th- those those weird like coma dreams he probably had. Oh, when, yeah. When he was he became a when fool. he was in the uh, the benzo rehab dungeon. <laughs> yeah. He just became like a nomad war machine with weapons as affects. Yeah. yeah that's he just became one. Uh, um, but. I and, and I mean, really, it's obvious what's happening here is this is a marketing thing because he, of course, he um, he wrote 12 rules as an antidote for chaos. And now he's going to have 12 rules for like when you actually have to deal with the chaos some and you have to like yeah. go Joker mode, you know, <laughs> it really is just him going Joker mode, right? Oh, man, I need uh, to Photoshop that together. Oh, yeah. I mean, it exists. But, I'm sure. Oh, but, yeah. But, the yeah. Jordan Peterson uh, Joker mode. Uh, and that's, that's that's all this is because he's just he's like reading the room and he's just like oh these young men they really like this Joker fellow and <laughs> I really need to embrace the chaos um and while still remaining daddy yeah you know like he's he's tr- he's trying to tame so it's got to be Papa yeah sure. or or how to how to train your dragon that might that might be the third in the series that'd be hilarious yeah anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of the psyche signaled hmm. by the emergence of negative emotions such as pain anxiety and fear mm-hmm. rule four argues that the meaning that sustains people through difficult times is to be found not so much in happiness which is fleeting but in the voluntary adoption of mature responsibility for the self and others rule five uses a single example drawn from now, uh, hmm. real quick, I would yep. like to point out that uh, none of these rules have like, uh, like he's he's describing the rules, but he but he's not like saying rule five is like clean your bedroom or anything anymore. Yeah, right? they're, they're all like he's hinting at the rules. He's yeah. like talking about like the a general like movie summary pitch of the rules. Right. Um, yeah. Like he's I not hope. he's not actually like telling you what the rules are <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't said bucko yet either he might get around to that i, I hope know. so yeah probably and i miss it i don't think he does in this i miss him so much my experience as a clinical psychologist <laughs> to illustrate the personal and social necessity of attending to the dictates of conscience sure rule six describes the danger of attributing the cause of complex individual and social problems to single variables such as sex class or power Sure. Rule seven outlines the crucial relationship between discipline striving in a single direction and forging of the individual character capable of resilience in the face of adversity. Rule eight focuses on the vital importance of aesthetic experience as a guide to what is true, good, and sustaining in the human world of experience. Rule 9 makes the case that past experiences, whose current recall remains laden with pain and fear, can be stripped of their horror 
by voluntary verbal exploration and reconsideration. It's just say therapy. Just say right? therapy. <laughs> Rule 10 notes the importance of explicit negotiation. Yes, to say everything so fucking weird. Regard and heartfelt cooperation without which no true romance can be sustained. All right. Rule 11 opens by describing the world of human experience in a manner that explains what motivates three common but direly dangerous How patterns that of psychological rule? response. How is that a rule? <laughs> Delineates the I, catastrophic I consequences of falling prey to any or all of them and lays out an alternative rule. <laughs> rule 11 explains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Let's, let's, I, I totally got lost and I couldn't. ...of psychological response. Delineates the catastrophic consequences of falling prey to any or oh sorry I think I didn't go back far enough. Also, with, with his sustained. whole rule eleven, oh, with with ahead. his yeah. like it poll one about how like you can't reduce things to like one uh, one characteristic or what or whatever like all social problems and whatnot like yeah. race and sex. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Um, if you have such a reductive and shitty view that these things are singular, first off, um, but also he lists power at the end of that and power, uh, is the absolute opposite of like a, uh, unitary, uh, of <laughs> like <laughs> power is necessarily like a complex, uh, and it's a construct and it's all relative. It's, I mean, race is, is another one of the markers of power and stuff. Right. Yeah. But, but you can't <laughs> you can't that there's a reason that people uh like get shouted at as uh class reductionists oh. uh when they're not doing the it poll thing right and it's because things like class and things like power uh if you could uh boil them down to being like base identities uh number one that could maybe be useful um but uh also you, you just you pretty much just fucking can't right like <laughs> right. even the bourgeoisie proletariat thing yeah. that's still like something that ambiguates all over the place and like what do you do with like the petite bourgeoisie and shit um and and even that like isn't a real like uh, description of, of of power in a complete way but just saying like those who have power and those who don't well in what fucking sphere and like how do we define and, and build and understand power? it's just it's a fucking mess and him claiming that that that's a, a fucking discrete identifier is crazy, and I know he's just taking like a swing at Foucault, but sure, but that's fucking <laughs> dumb. And if you understood Foucault, he would understand how complex and amorphous power is. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, that power is literally infinite, even when it's not infinite. Kind of thing. Anyway, doesn't fucking matter. Let's keep going. What the fuck is he saying in number 11? Um, yeah, so let's, We're about uh, to find let's out. back up just a couple of seconds here. <clears throat> rule 10. Notes oh, the importance of negotiation, the, the maintenance of the goodwill, mutual regard, and heartfelt cooperation, without which no true romance can be sustained. All right, listen to your wife. Rule 11 opens by describing the world of human experience in a manner that explains what motivates three common but direly dangerous patterns of psychological response, delineates the catastrophic consequences of falling prey to any or all of them, and lays out an alternative route. Rule 12, finally, makes the case that thankfulness in the face of the inevitable tragedies of life should be regarded as a primary manifestation of the admirable moral courage required to continue our difficult march uphill. 
Mm -hmm. I hope that I am somewhat wiser in my explication of this second set of 12 rules than I was four years ago when I wrote about the no. first dozen, <laughs> not least because of the informative feedback I received in the course of my efforts to formulate my ideas for audiences around the world, in person, on YouTube, and through my podcast and blog. I hope, in consequence, that I have managed to clarify some of the issues that were perhaps left less than optimally developed in my previous work, as well as presenting much that is original. Finally, I hope that people <sighs> find this think, book uh, as helpful he falls personally on the, uh, the as they seem to have found the first set of 12 rules. <laughs> well, it has been well. a source of immense gratification that so many people have reported drawing strength not exactly from the cool with rainbow the flags. So I have had the privilege of bringing oh, forth no, 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 not that aspect. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. That was cool. the second oh. half of the overture what? from Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. Yeah. Don't call it a Once fucking again, overture also. In all its forms, no, will be published no, no, no. March 2nd, 2021. Links for pre-sale are posted in the description below. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your interest in and support of my work. <laughs> Oh fuck! It, imagine, imagine uh, so good. being being someone who's paid as a public speaker and not looking ahead far enough to know that you're gonna say thank you. <laughs> like he had to fucking look, pause for a second, take a yeah. breath, and then say, "I don't know." Thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude his his brain is his brain is fucking gone now. He's, yeah, it's it's he's he getting a lot worse of this shit. Yeah, um, he uh, he doesn't have the the ability to like uh, uh, read off and, a teleprompter and, anymore, and buddy. You know, Fuck my my life my my life my brain's not working as well as it used to either. You know, we're all we're all going through some shit, and you know, it's it's hard to focus and. And sometimes the 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 trauma of of those those horrible benzo the nightmare dungeon rehab uh, uh, those those nightmares come flashing back to you and stuff. I we get it. We don't want to like be mean to him over that, but uh, also just try, <laughs> just try harder, just try more. Cl yeah. Clean your room. And uh, I'm glad that he's he, he used to do those these videos in his like filthy fucking office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which was the funniest no, no, no. thing in the universe. It because, looks like yeah. he at least has the camera angled to the right so that his shit on the left can't be seen. Or uh, he uh, oh, there's a reason you can't see what's happening on the left you in the video. You can't so see. If you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I, 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 I do remember his desk being on the left. Uh, I don't yeah, know if no, this is the I, same room I, I and think, stuff. But. I think he's in a he's in a different space right now. Okay. Uh, this, well, this mentally. Is probably, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mentally and also physically, yeah, and, sure. and I, I believe that uh, he probably has some kind of uh, housekeeper that's right. that's maintaining this area. Here. Yeah, uh, training the dragon. Yeah. Um, or draining the dragon. Am I right? Ooh, it's, uh, no, let's not make claims that he's doing anything bad. He could be. It could be. I mean, I we don't, we don't know though. We don't. Know. I mean, I so. I would never say that he uh, does anything bad. But if someone told me that he <laughs> allegedly was was uh, paying a maid to drain the dragon, um, whatever that means, yeah. whatever that means, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is uh, this is the the uh, the face of the. Uh, understander of postmodernism. Oh hell yeah. Um, yep. That that he does. Um 
He <laughs> he knows what the fuck is going on. Would you would you like to give maybe uh, a brief overview of what postmodernism is, uh, just in case nobody like walked away from this Jordan Peterson segment knowing what it is? Well, uh, yeah, just a <laughs> really a really brief one, huh? Um, I mean, with with all these things. And I, I, I promise I'm not going to layer uh, a whole bunch of names and stuff all over the this. Uh, but we, we, we should probably start off with a very, very extremely basic understanding of the history of this kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So years and years and years ago, we used to think that things like God did shit. Right. We did. Yes, we did. We had a kind of a, a supernaturalistic way of, of viewing sure. the world. Um, and not all of us thought that. You and I, I'm not sure. You know, we, we had... Uh, no, no, uh, I, was actually, I was actually raised, uh, raised in the oh, church. No, no, no. So yeah, I, so yeah, I both, very much both you and I actually yeah. did, did have it in our actual lives. But yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, um, a few hundred years ago, this was kind of the, the, the basic model of social structure and, and uh, thereby, under you know, at least... You know, uh, nominatively uh, or nominally, sorry, um, our understanding of the world was was supernaturalistic. Um, and over time, we had thinkers like Descartes and Spinoza and, and, and people like that who brought in something uh, more more rational, uh, literally rationalism and empiricism. And rationalism, you know, it connected to idealism, whether people want to admit that or not. But but rationalism is essentially the the idea that you can find um, you you can determine the reality of reality through more or less uh, a priori thought you can you can deduce uh, what reality is like by thinking about it and using your reason and your rationality um, and that causes some problems when you have you know someone else's kind of forced system that's you know really strict and 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 time changes and culture changes and things like that and you look at it and you use your rationality and you realize wait hold on not all this stuff adds up and whether or not that's supernatural or whether or not it's you know um your monarch or you know any any kind of set, rule that's set up and 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 totally um ossified um and so this was our first step towards atomizing thought a little bit because everyone realized, or at least everyone inside this, um, this movement realized that they could think through their problems and, and rationalize new answers. And with this though, you know, it gets confused that these things are the same a lot, but, but uh, empiricism also comes around, which is, you know, the, the thought that uh, I can empirically understand things by observing them. And if I observe them the same way over and over and over again, I can more or less through my perception, understand these things to be true. Right. And so rationalism and empiricism are good friends, though they're not necessarily synonymous. Uh, You can be a rationalist without being an empiricist and uh, yeah, vice versa. Um, and with this comes, you know, naturalism and all of these different new kind of ways of thought. Uh, and people begin to develop more and more uh, complex methods of understanding. And and things are going pretty good in certain ways. This also kind of leads to the industrial revolution because we're, we're, we're accelerating science and general understanding of things. And whether or not, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, but that's simply what happens is we began to understand reality a bit better and we were able to kind of... Uh, adjust it more to our whims. Um, and so these are all questions of epistemology, right? 
uh, epistemology trying to to move towards becoming something ontological. Um, so ontological being the fabric of reality and, and epistemology being the way that we understand what we understand. Um, and all of these are based on uh, kind of fundamental understandings of how understanding itself works, right? Like the fundamental uh, understanding behind empiricism would be that uh, something is true if you observe it to be true repeatedly, more or less. Uh, because reality is stable and observation can tell us about reality. Uh, Kant might have some problems with that, right? Because he's uh, he, he understands, as people do later and during this to some degree, you know, Descartes, despite it, 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 as much as people give him shit, did understand this, that, that things could be an illusion and our uh, modes of perception can be faulty. And so just because we observe something to be true over and over and over again does not necessarily mean that it's true. And so this is also where uh, uh, kind of liberalism and democracy begin to like really see their seeds, even outside of, you know, old Greek uh, kind of traditions, because people, you know, more or less realize in these larger philosophical groups, and not that people in some sense didn't understand this before, but people begin to understand that um, individually we can kind of move towards some understanding of things and by more or less peer review, uh, or just, you know, debate and argument that you can both determine what is or is not likely to be true through the rationalistic lens and the empiricist lens. All uh, right. And so you get around problems like, you know, phenomena is unreliable. Perception is unreliable. Rationalism doesn't really tell us about the physical world necessarily. Just because something's logically true doesn't make it true. Things like that. And so we're, we're leading into this kind of cool space of beginning to, to understand uh, the world in, in, in better and better ways. And then we are uh, struck suddenly with... Um, our modern conditions, right? We have things uh, happening like, and this is jumping forward a lot, but you know, so a lot of stuff happens in history, but you guys don't want to listen to all that shit, uh, nor do I want to say it. But, but suddenly, you know, we have the 20th century or, you know, even the, heading before the 20th century, but certainly in the 20th century, we have things like the first world war, right? And we have, giant catastrophes and human beings using uh, their their newfound uh, epistemic and rational rigor in order to do things like build machine guns and fucking just shred other human beings machine into guns pieces. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, chemical warfare, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, <laughs> was one of those things that humanity did. And then they're like, oh, oh, fuck, this is fucked up. We right. shouldn't do that anymore, but we're still going to do it. But, <laughs> and, and this but is, we're going to we're going to say it's bad. Right. You know? And this is piling on top of a lot of crises from the 19th century that people like Nietzsche were pointing out. Nietzsche is 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 essentially um, an, an oracle of postmodernism in a lot of ways. For sure. Um, he sees so much of what is still, you know, verging on happening and so much of what has happened during his lifetime and, 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 and since um, that seems ultimately impossible. And a lot of it seems obvious now, but it's only because of the fact that we're, we're deep inside of it. Yeah, we're, and it's we're, foundational looking, to we're us. looking at it in, in the rear view mirror. Right. Which so is which is one of the problems that people have with philosophy is people look back and it's like, well, of course, like truth is relative or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, well, but people didn't fucking realize that before. And the only reason you realize it is because it's so 
ultimately uh, true, <laughs> it, it put in quotes and maybe with a capital T, who knows? Um, but it's it's so true and it's so accurate to our, our um, uh, towards being usable in the cultural and academic and intellectual space that everyone ends up accepting it, right? It's like trying to explain like uh, delusional rhizomatics to people. It's just like, well, actually, everything's interconnected and kind of affecting everything else. It's like, well, of course it is, but uh, because we're all on the fucking internet, yeah. um, <laughs> right? But so modernism um, is is both responding to a lot of crises from the 19th century and before, and then is also suddenly confronted with things like the world wars. So we have horrifying crimes against humanity. We have um, the scientific method, more or less erasing the necessity for uh you know supernatural states or, or or god in a lot of ways i mean that that's a very complicated subject but but it allows for a a rational belief that god may not be real right and so that's no longer a stable epistemic or or, or cultural framework and that that begins to kind of decay and people need to find a new way of understanding the world Right. A new way of understanding the world, a new way of building ethics, a new way of functioning culturally that isn't based on these previous frameworks. And even when you had the beginnings of rationalism, you could still connect it into a lot of the theological space like Spinoza did. Uh, and empiricism can still ultimately function independent or, or not even independent, but along with a lot of the previous uh, viewpoints, um, just because of the fact that you can observe uh, the way that uh, that chemicals are functioning together doesn't mean that you have to do away with any previous beliefs, so long as they don't necessarily contradict with that. But we are we're developing more and more of these crises now that God is dead. Now that we're seeing these horrible things happen, and we really understand that we need to build a new a new way, and so modernism appears. And modernism is so close to postmodernism in so many ways. And people often kind of confuse them, both yeah, in art I, I think, and I think otherwise. That's, that's the most important distinction between uh, or with what we're talking about is, is right. that distinction between modernism and postmodernism. And actually, though it's it's complex, especially if you want to understand it entirely, the, the distinction between them, less so in art, but at least when it comes to the the basic definition of philosophical thought is pretty easy to understand. But yeah, inside of art, inside of uh, uh, well, art specifically, be it paintings or writing, it can be pretty nuanced. And there there is, of course, gray area between all of these things. Yeah, um, because, we, well, I mean, it was all happening concurrently so right. no one yeah we uh, history never just takes like a break and catastrophizes and then says like right, well yeah. now it's postmodern <laughs> time yeah that just doesn't and, happen and all of a sudden everything changed right and i mean there are moments where we have like you know the bombing of uh, uh nagasaki and hiroshima uh, in hiroshima that that we can use as markers for this type of thing but still even then like no, um, it, there, there's a fluidity between all those stages. Right, right. There, the history doesn't. No matter how much we want to believe it, history doesn't rely entirely on great men changing history, uh, <laughs> and um, it also doesn't necessarily. It's not predicated on great events either. All of this is is complex and based on people uh, in the plural, uh, and and just. You know, it's all fluid, uh, mm -hmm. like Mike said. So, 
modernism is this deeply sincere kind of movement, even though it produces a lot of ironic art, because what it's what it's trying to do is it's it's understanding that we have a broken understanding and it's understanding that we're confused and that there are many perceptions and that these perceptions can vary. But it still holds close to its heart this this belief that we can find ways of understanding and of doing that are objectively better and better and we can improve. That progress is real, that there are meta-narratives to history, you know, like capitalism uh, and uh, the, the conflict between capitalism and, and, and communism is a huge meta-narrative. Um, this, this philosophical meta-narrative that I'm telling you right now is a, is a meta-narrative. All right. And, and they, they believe that something can be done, uh, <laughs> and, and that we will, uh, the world will become more coherent over time that ideologies, uh, are, are, um, are coherent. I mean, coherency is a huge concept inside of modernism. Uh, even when it's describing it in an incoherent way, because it's trying to find new ways of 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 showing you art uh, and things like that. Yep. You know, it's 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 difficult uh, sometimes unless you you know you have an art history degree, uh, which I don't, uh, to tell the difference between postmodern and, and modernist art because um, oftentimes they both look like splashes on canvas, right? Yeah, and and I, I would actually just throw out there that I. I have taken several art history courses and uh, I honestly couldn't tell you the difference between what, what's right. considered modernist and postmodernist art. And the way that I was kind of led to understand it when it comes to art is that, um, and this is kind of a goofy, extremely reductive way of, of viewing it, but um, when confronted with the fact that um, nothing matters and knowing is impossible, a modernist cries uh, and perhaps tries to find a better way. So tries to paint, you know, something in a thousand different angles on one canvas. And a postmodernist laughs and continues <laughs> on with what they're doing. Um, I'm the Joker, baby. I'm the Joker, baby. See, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Peterson moving from being a modernist to a postmodernist kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's always been postmodern, but uh, also very deeply modern. Um but yeah, so the, the basic idea of modernism is that we can find a better way and we should try and things will get better, probably, maybe, if we do it right. Uh, it's sincere. It's genuine. It really thinks that we can maybe make things work. Uh, and it's evolutionary. Uh, and it has um, a very, at least per each author, uh, you know, uh, literary or, or, or philosophical or even just, you know, in the, own, in, in the story of your own mind. Um, there are ideological coherencies and there are problems and solutions and dialectics and, and it makes sense. And you can, you can put names on things that make sense and it's great. And you can see it in your own life and you can go forward with that. Um, so history is very strong in modernism and it also has a top down kind of approach. Uh, of, of viewing uh, the world in a lot of ways, because that's the only way that you can really view the world um, and still have meta narratives and large movements in mind is by viewing people as groups. Right. Um, and so, yeah, all of those together in, inside of modernism. After a while, 
modernism itself begins to fragment and decay and atomize the same way that you know this that, that I've laid out for you thus far in my very modernist <laughs> meta narrative of philosophy and so people begin to realize things don't get necessarily get better with time and worse than that do you think modernist- it was uh, do you think it was time that maybe uh, revealed <laughs> that to some people <laughs> uh, yeah um, but uh, things and, and you know a modernist could still think that things get worse with time mm. Tolkien was really a modernist and he certainly did not believe in progress um, in fact he seemed to think that things would only ever get worse um, but the the moment where we really realize as a world, that we're stuck in a postmodern condition is, well, do you want to throw like a guess? What, like what big event happened in the 20th century uh, that led us to like a new understanding that, uh, that shit doesn't actually make sense and movements are bullshit and things don't necessarily improve and history is a lie. (laughs) Um, just one thing. Uh, or like a general thing. It doesn't have to be like a thing that happened one day, but like, <laughs> uh, shit, I don't know. Uh, we're, so we're talking about what the 20th century. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll say later 20th century too. And don't, don't, don't feel bad if you get it wrong, but you know, well, no, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like, uh, maybe Vietnam, Vietnam's huge in it. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's connected to Vietnam. I would say, I mean, this is still like, you know, this is a yeah, guess and, on my and, part too. And like larger than that, maybe like just just the uh, the Cold War in general. Yes, yeah. it's absolutely Cold War. I think so. Postmodernism really kind of comes into play with both, you know, the uh, Vietnam War and the fact that we can both, uh, you know, pro and anti-war people can view the same information and come a- away with it with totally different takes, well, especially with like objective information. Th- there was also just so much like um, that. That was when the the CIA probably had the oh, yeah. most power it ever had. Yeah, people and, were and getting over acid in like massive amounts. Yeah, and <laughs> it wasn't just the CIA, but it was like you had all these these uh, like really spooky uh, uh, intelligence organizations popping up around right. all all the the major players in the world, and um, just <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, just just the uh, the the insane amount of like counterintelligence that was that was being sure. propagated. But you know, even worse, though, than just, you know, uh, not, well, not just but counterintelligence and psyops and things like that is the fact that somewhere in the 80s, people finally kind of realized that the conflict between communism and capitalism um, was bullshit or uh unwinnable in some way and communism itself kind of evaporated and collapsed right the soviet union collapsed yeah and and so these massive historical ideological meta narratives just dissolved in a lot of ways and we also began to understand you know uh with certain changes in our economic policy uh the sound trickling in the distance um, but that that capitalism wasn't necessarily the way either and and that the American dream wasn't going to work for you and things like that. Um, and so progressively getting worse, right, progressively getting worse even. 
And so the politics and the politics of progress and and all of this no longer really makes sense to people. And people tried to hold onto it really tightly. And then you have movements like the 90s or, 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 or like grunge music in the 90s. Right. Oh, yeah. Which is this huge countercultural movement <laughs> that's attempting to respond to the fact that capitalism is bullshit and we're all homeless and shit like that. I, but it's, I, it's I actually attribute a lot of that to to my own formation because I grew up in the the greater Seattle right. area. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my my early formative like memories are uh, just rebelliousness. Um like I didn't understand why I was being rebellious, but right. but I knew that rebellion was like a, a positive thing that I was doing. But the funniest to some extent thing about that when it comes to like grunge music and stuff, and then the nineties as a whole, they all sold is, out. Well, exactly, <laughs> and the only reason that we had access to them is because they sold out. Yeah, and so even while you know Kurt Cobain is is a great example of this. Well, actually, fuck. I mean, I mean Lane technically, Staley he's too, the but, only one that didn't sell out because. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lane Staley did something similar, but, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, he, uh, Kurt Cobain was desperately, and I don't think necessarily performatively, but, but desperately against being viewed in the way that he was being viewed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he, he was really resistant to this, uh, this counter counter culture and, and, and the, the, the postmodern logic of capital that kind of consumes him and turns him into a product. And he resisted that, but every time he would resist, it would turn him into more of a product, right? Well, that's uh, that's like one of the, the major reasons why MTV was, is one of the worst things <laughs> that's, that's ever For sure. like, happened to, to culture, I think. And you look at the music of the 80s, um, while we're still holding on to the idea that, you know, uh, capitalism stuff can work, and it's, you know, uh, there's like the goth I mean, stuff, but even the goth stuff well, is like kind of peppy and like you know, it, it has yeah, an energy yeah, yeah. to and, it. And, and stuff. you got to think like there there were uh, there were a bunch of like popular songs at the time, um, bunch of ballads and shit, bunch of ballads and shit. <laughs> there's there's that one song I'm trying to fucking remember the name of it, but it's like. Uh, you got to move these color TVs. Remember, it was <laughs> right, like right. it was about basically being a, a TV salesman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the like 80s. All, all, all of the all of the music that uh, someone plays in a um, uh, God damn it, what's like a, a video collage called? My brain's broken. A montage. Montage, yeah. Every every song that you hear in like a montage of like shit getting done is played to a 90s song or an 80s song. It's yeah. just all of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that, that was the... If you did it with 90s songs, it would seem ironic. But <laughs> but so... So, and, 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 you know, all of this does matter to some, what, it what's does interesting about that, just, mm. just as like a weird side note on like an art history perspective is you, know, you, you had... Dadaism, mm-hmm. which existed in in the sixties, and it took such such a long time for for that mentality to kind of spread to the music industry. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, Dadaism existed even before that. You know, forties. Um, yeah, I, like I, I think you 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 are correct in that. Um, I, I just think like it was most prevalent in the sixties, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's going on for a long time. And then, yeah, certainly like the 50s um, and 60s, you had like the uh, a lot of Burroughs' work is, is, is getting popularized. And yeah. it's kind of the literary version of Dadaism and things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But it just seems to have taken like such a long time to make it to the uh, the popular music world. Right. I guess. Well, I mean, music is is one of the. Uh, I mean, so is painting and stuff in a different way. But it's really the stuff that you have access to is you have access to it because it has capital behind it. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that that's probably part of it. But you know, another thing that that uh, occurs to me when it comes to the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, and uh, the kind of rise of um, of postmodernism, and we will eventually describe what postmodernism means, folks. <laughs> We're getting um, there. <laughs> is the uh, the rise of uh, or the uh, establishment of fiat currency yeah. by Nixon? Yep. Right. So now money is just this ephemeral thing, and money has value because we say it has value instead of having. A one-to-one uh, uh, correlation which is, with, which with gold. Which is one of the most remarkable things, I think. It's pretty fascinating. When it, when it comes to this whole discussion is is the idea that money like no longer has any any rooted value. Right, it's, right. It's all just imaginary, and there's nothing anybody can do about it because... <laughs> like what, what are you going to say like no the American dollar isn't worth that much right okay well we have the, the military power to say yes it does <laughs> yeah until it's, it's until kinda, we stop believing it right yeah Um. and so there's and I'm not endorsing that thought by the way no 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 uh, please <laughs> saying, saying uh, that, our yeah. dollar means a lot it means a lot it means a lot it means a lot no no no, no. I mean oh. I'm not endorsing the idea that our military oh. power is why we uh, we, yeah, we have I mean, the ability to say that our that our money means oh, yeah. so much I mean it's it's uh, it's very important inside of uh, postmodernism is is versus ought distinctions yes right uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know um, so leotard who is the person that came up with... I don't with... think you're allowed to say that word anymore. <laughs> oh, fuck. I've said it too many times. Um, but he he's the person that came up with the term postmodernism. And it didn't necessarily mean it as like a thing that you laud. Because he's not like, we should all be postmodernists. No. Uh, postmodernism, he describes as an incredulity towards metanarratives. I, yeah. And, right? and I think an important thing that needs to be said more about philosophers is um, they didn't always... They they were describing things that they saw more mm. than approving of things that they saw. Right. Um, one one good example I would bring up is how people think that Nietzsche is uh, is oh, a yeah. nihilist, mm-hmm. and Nietzsche was not a nihilist. He was very much against nihilism. Right. He was just describing it in his works, and he was uh, talking about the dangers of what he saw in nihilism. And exactly. So Leotard, same thing. Yeah. Uh, not not uh, postmodernist in in thought necessarily, uh, not in practice. I guess uh, he he saw this as uh, a dangerous thing or, or a negative thing that was just pre- presenting itself, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. And, I, I don't but, think he was, but, but, but he complicated. Was, yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think um, he was quite as against it as like Nietzsche was against nihilism. But well, so the the problem. So, like, Nietzsche and Machiavelli were both, you know, describing something and then saying, like, well, you know, is versus ought. And, and, right? Yeah, and, but, and Machiavelli is is actually, like, one of probably the biggest examples right. of, yeah, <laughs> of I, misunderstood huge philosophers. If, if I'm understanding the history behind Machiavelli, if, if I am, and I think I am, but I'm also basing this off of something that I learned maybe when I was 19, uh, so that this, could be wrong. I, I've actually, but, Machiavelli is actually mm. one of the uh, the philosophers that I've read. 
Right. Um, and yeah, he, he, he did not believe in what people consider Machiavellianism. Right. Right. Um, he was very much opposed to it and thought that it was like horribly immoral. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but that, that is a good example as well. Right. Um, but, but with, with Leotard, he's, he's describing, you know, this again, incredulity. So a doubt, uh, towards meta narratives. So these, these ideological or massive, you know, group top down views of how history has functioned. Um, and he views it as the uh, another uh, term term that he uses uh, the logic of late capital, uh-huh. right? Um, and first off, capital itself is we're going to bust out another fancy term, and this Uh-oh. is a Deleuzian one, Ruh-roh. a Deleuze Guattarian one, uh, but D and re territorialization. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod before. Um, um, I don't think you have. Okay, and. Um, but I'm going to make it as painless as possible. Yeah. Essentially, I mean, if, you, if you want to throw that out there, go ahead. It's useful for understanding how a lot of this works. But essentially, um, the best example would be money. And it's a reductive sample. And some other fucking D&G guy is going to bitch me out about this. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, but when you have a cow and you want to get a book. For some stupid reason, because you haven't learned that you shouldn't interact with those. You can try to say this cow is worth that book uh, because we're living in like a, a, a pre-literary period and that, that exchange makes sense. Um, but you can't easily say that and people will disagree with you. And it's it's difficult because both of these have their own like stable territories of understanding. Right. Right. But. If we use a re-territorializing tool like currency, then we can kind of melt both of these concepts and say that they're both worth a hundred bucks. Yep. Expensive book. But they're both worth a hundred bucks. And you can now easily deterritorialize the identities of both of these objects uh, and exchange them. Right. So essentially capital or currency at the very least, but capital as a as a system of and a mode of production melts identities, melts culture, melts everything it comes into contact with and makes everything interchangeable. <clears throat> and so, of course, the cultural logic of a deterritorializing system is going to be itself deterritorialized, where uh, the, the the culture is going to be loosed from itself, and it is only going to present itself when uh, in in any kind of stable way when it is in fact beneficial towards further deterritorialization and complexity. Um, the, you you will only end up giving things inside of this culture a stable identity when it is useful for the advancement of that of uh, that expanding culture. Uh, because uh, capital only cares about numbers, right? Yeah. Everything becomes a balance sheet. And so the cultural logic, late capital, you know, mix that in with the incredulity towards meta narratives. And what you have is you have a, a, a culture that is that has no history and no unified way of understanding history and has no unified way of understanding the present 
or the future in, in, in that sense, because we also live in an accelerating tech, technological space. And so the future and the present become more and more ambiguated with every moment, even independent yeah, of capital. And, and some some examples of that ambigu- ambiguity, um, <clears throat> you know, you <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but like the, the discussion over um, the Confederate flag, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have one group of people who you know understands the history to be that the confederate f- flag is a racist emblem right. um which it is yes uh and then <laughs> and then we did it we did it and then and then you have a, a competing idea of uh, people saying no it's a it's a heritage thing it's not a hatred thing um am i am i off on that or no you're you're not i mean so the thing is that that we 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 don't want to believe that these uh, these conflicts and these disagreements about history didn't exist beforehand, right? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not and saying that. No, necessarily. I, know, I, know, I know it's not. But just to you know, uh, but to, to, to an extent, though. Yeah, I mean, things, things were more it, it wasn't, unified. It wasn't until previous the, in history, like Strom Thurmond, was, right. was was and. By the way, great friend of Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> That's a great thing to know. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and throw that out there right now. Uh, Strom Thurmond, uh, you know, had had this this great vision for for like rebranding the South, and and right. one of the things that that he championed was uh, the the Confederate flag is no longer a racist because everybody right, before right. that understood it to be like a racist emblem yeah. of slavery. Um, and then you know now now we've we've entered this weird territory where yeah. some people think that it's not racist and for a, sure, a for lot sure. of other people know that it is racist and yeah, it's all because of this weird movement that that started in the 80s and one of the things that hundreds that, of years after right or, well uh, 200 but, i guess but <laughs> something that's notable about the, the postmodern condition that the is not the ought but is that people are are able to um to galvanize around incoherent movements yeah right yeah where uh, they are superpositionally racist and not racist um and like i said none of this stuff is not stuff that could have previously occurred in history but it certainly makes it a lot easier we now have a cultural logic of doing this just because the logic yep. wasn't pre wasn't previously uh available or well, totally it, available it, doesn't mean it didn't occur before and and you know this this is more you know you, you had when 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 donald trump first became president our first postmodern president <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> genuinely genuinely probably yeah. um because because there was the whole alternative facts thing yeah. that came out with that huge uh, and and you know plenty of presidents have have obviously lied to us but oh yeah this uh, this all was of them. All one, of them. one of the first instances where a president was not only lying to us but saying yeah i'm lying but it doesn't matter because yeah. because what I'm saying is just like an, an alternative set of beliefs and you can take one or the other. Uh, yeah. Clearly not true uh, when you're looking at it from like a, a perspective of realism. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was being fed to the nation that there there was alternative realities <laughs> right. that you could believe in simultaneously. Yeah. The, and and yeah, I mean. Postmodernism, a great way of viewing postmodernism in in a fun uh, uh, 
in a fun kind of movie. Postmodernism for, for kids. <laughs> right. Uh, well, not, not, no, not, not like this one. Not this one. Fun, right? Right. But the, the fun way to view it is uh, think about the movie The Thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. That he that the, the alien is a postmodern entity <laughs> because it can be and is everyone and yeah. is no one. And it can be multiple things at once. Um I and actually, so, I actually have a more more relevant update to this. Uh, okay, to yeah, what this, do we got? Uh, Among Us. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, much for, the for, thing. For, for those game, who yeah. haven't seen the thing, uh, just imagine Among Us, the game. Oh no, the the problem with Among Us though is that the imposter always remains the imposter. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but another way of understanding. Shoot down my fucking thing. Sorry, man. but. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been drinking fucking whiskey all day, and, and I'm I had not, I'm not blaming. I you. had one coherent thought, and you just <laughs> fucking smashed it in the ground. So, an interesting thing to keep in mind with this is something called hauntology. Ah, yes, hauntology. And, and rather than explaining what hauntology is in great detail, we can describe it in uh, the same terms that we were using before, where we talk about music of the '80s and '90s. Okay, right? I'm interested. So, what? What is the time period that we constantly see appearing in media over and over and over again? And it will never leave us alone from it's always the fucking 80s. It's man. always this fucking 80s. Stranger Things, the new Call of yeah, Duty yeah. with fucking Reagan or whatever. Um, just Which is hmm. a whole thing that I, I, I could go on like a fucking. I don't know shit about it, but yeah. So maybe we should eventually. But um, <laughs> I, but, uh, but we are we are obsessed with returning to the 80s. And really, the 80s, outside of, thankfully, there, there's been some stuff, and people feel mixed about it, but like, you know, fucking Death Grips or something. Um, <laughs> the, all of the music that was made following the 80s could have been made in the 80s. Yeah. All of it. Right. All of it. But music that you, and, and think about how fucking far away the, the 80s was. Even if we go back 10 years and years just ago. say like, you know, in 2010, you know, let's be fair. I just realized that I'm... Fucking like yep. 32 years Sorry, old. Buddy. God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> but but in, in 2010, <sighs> the 80s were 30 years away. Yeah. Right? Or the beginning of the 80s. Um, now, think 30 years before the 80s. 1950. Think about the distance we, between now and the 80s. 1980 to 1940. Think about the amount of difference between musical production in 1940 or 1950 and 1980. Think about the difference between 1950 and 1960. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to throw up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's immense. Mm -hmm. The amount of cultural change is incalculable. Right. Well, and and not even not even just music, but yeah. You know, oh, like everything. Art, uh, and a lot of this goes out of technology, media but, of any kind of sort, really. Right. And so we always go back to the '80s because the last that was the last coherent and creative space that we really had. Everything since then has been trying to recapitulate the '80s or some other time. Right. There is a reason that all of our shitty conservative kids or like neoconservatives or whatever are wearing fucking fedoras. Right. <laughs> because they're all trying to go back to the pre 50s where they were really struggling for a reason so that they could bring about their fucking trad wife fantasy. Right. What What's amazing to me about the fedora thing. Yeah. And, and this is, is that it's a actually a trilby. Well, <laughs> sure. Right, there's, yeah. there's that. Yeah. The but, most important thing. Uh, a little bit of a tangent, but Please. like, um, 
Do you think? Do you think people in the the fifties looked as bad in in uh, fedoras as they as people uh, wearing fedoras no. now do? No, because they wore the full outfit, uh, yeah. and it made sense, and everyone was doing it. So even if it was dumb as shit, it yeah. would you right. know everyone was doing it, which made it not dumb. You know, postmodernism, uh, and uh, and they, you know, these were like handmade fancy things and shit versus yeah, right, being right, like yeah. made in some shitty factory well, and it's like bad know, felt and stuff. I, I I when I was growing up, you know, like uh, I had a a more conservative view of the world, I guess. Sure. And it never led me down down the path of wanting to <laughs> wear a fedora. But I remember one time I was I was in a Walmart yeah. and I saw a rack of fedoras and I was like, yeah, this is a dead item now. Right. Uh, when when Walmart is selling fedoras, that's when, you know, it's a dead item. Right. Right. And, and you just well, because you capital shouldn't. has captured it. Yeah. Um, capital is it, it's been just like Kurt Cobain. <laughs> They're dead in the same way for the same reason. Damn uh, shit. But uh yeah. Fucking fucking racks of fedoras shooting themselves in the face with shotguns. <laughs> Courtney Love walking through a fucking Walmart shooting fedoras with shotguns. I, I didn't want to bring up the Courtney Love uh, conspiracy theories. Although I love although, it. I think it's so funny. No, no. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's funny, but uh, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> like, like I said, I, I grew up in, in that region right, and right. I grew up around the time that he, uh, yeah. he was killed by Courtney Love. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I have some thoughts about that whole right. thing, but, uh, so most of it's based off of, uh, word of mouth sort of stuff. Can, can we have a moment of silence? Not for, for not for Cobain, but no, just for like yeah. the fedora, the for trilby the not so much, but the yeah. fedora was a pretty cool hat. The the trilby, you know, a pretty shitty hat. Should have never been made. Yeah, trilby's a bad hat, but the fedora, the actual fedora, a yeah. pretty nice hat. Right. I'm not going to wear one. I'm never going to wear one unless I'm in a 1940s movie, and I would all take a movie role. But, um, but yeah, a moment of silence for the fedora. <laughs> That's been our moment right. of silence. Yeah, it was for beautiful. The <laughs> uh, but you know, <clears throat> there's um, so many hats that that. Just shouldn't be worn anymore. Bowlers, um, bowlers are yeah, uh, absolutely. What's that little Turkish hat? Uh, fez, fezes. Oh, yeah, nobody's, unless you're a Shriner, nobody's fucking worn a fez. Shriners wear fezes. Yeah, but are Shriners real anymore? No, are Shriners real at all? No. Are they just a thing for movies? That yeah. Do they actually drive little cars? Because I saw that <laughs> on the Simpsons once, and I'm actually not sure if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they dr- dr- drive little cars, but yeah. but trainers aren't real. Anymore. Oh yeah, they're not real, so there's no cars. Um, um, yeah. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> those, if, those like faux military caps. Oh yeah, stop wearing them. Yeah, if, I I did when I was growing up. That was that was my that was my bad hat choice. Don't do snap caps. None of the none of the Irish wore, shit. I also wore like ironic uh, trucker hats. Oh yeah, I mean that's. I, I had this. More one, people should do that. I had this one that was from a uh, a defunct like parking company. Nice. And I used to wear it all the time. People would be like, "Oh, you work for the company?" I'm like, "No, I don't even know who the fuck they are." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I've been wearing my beanie in a different way for the last like three years than I used to, but I'm I'm starting to think that I'm gonna switch it back. I'm gonna wear it the way uh, I did before. Damn. I'm gonna go back to being a sea captain. You're gonna. I'm gonna fold it. it. I'm gonna, gonna fold it. Yeah, man, I'm going to Tim pull it. But you know what? The thing, the, the difference between he and I 
is that I'm balding and I'm proud about it. But him, he needs to hide it with his beanie. Me, I wear a beanie because my head's cold because yeah, I'm balding. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I have no hair on my head. And no. so when I wear a beanie, it's because I'm, I'm chilly. Right. Um, but yeah, so we have fiat currency. We have oh, yeah, music. Oh, back to the discussion. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it's so because history is weakened and because it's incoherent and we can't look to it for anything, the and because the the present and the future also don't exist and are totally incoherent, we are constantly grasping for some kind of cultural logic that makes sense. And so we always go back to the 80s and we are recapitulating the 80s over and over again. And so essentially, hauntology is this concept of this eternal return of something from the past right yeah, it's, a, it's, it's the haunting ghost, you. the ghost of the past is, is haunting right. us and it becomes essentially an ontology for you it becomes your reality it's a repetition of a reality over and over again or or fragments and portions of a reality uh that end up defining your epistemology um or you define all those things i don't need to do it again but um yeah, I think I think another major thing about the '80s hmm. and why it's it's such a prevalent uh, 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 fuck object in our in our hmm. reality is that uh, a lot of like fundamental things about the '80s and and current uh, times yeah. aren't, aren't any different than each other, right? Um, like. I work in the building industry and so I can tell you for a fact that like past the eighties, not a lot or like from the eighties on to now, not a lot has changed about the building industry. Right. Uh, the built like the major things that happened in the building industry before the eighties was like, uh, uh, asbestos, um, lead paint, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. But like, from the 80s till now like the only things that have happened have been like really non-visible stuff with with energy requirements yeah so all the all the buildings essentially look the fucking same as they <laughs> did in the 80s for aesthetic and technological reasons right right yeah, yeah. and and like the the major components of of buildings haven't changed at right. all since since that and, period and a big part of that is that of course there have been giant jumps in technology mm -hmm. and of course there have been uh some aesthetic changes uh but but, but, we're, the, but we're talking about like the difference between like um yeah 40 years right well yeah that and and like the 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 major technological jumps have been like uh we use a different kind of uh insulation for right. wires now which you the, don't see the changes are all increasingly abstract yeah right and that's true in all realms of life and since the 80s, and the 80s were a big boom for this kind of thing, but I bring it up over and over again, but financialization. Yep. Financialization and and data are where we've had the biggest kind and data related and adjacent tech is where the, the biggest jumps have been made because that's where capital actually lives now. Right. Capital actually lives inside inside of data, financial, financial abstractions, recirculation through those rather than relying on the, the, the dangerous world of of production and industry and building and things like that. And so, of course, all of the uh, the innovation 
<laughs> is going to totally leave that kind of space and go into the one that's really going to produce the most money, which is finding ways to trade stocks faster. Yeah. Um, or uh, different ways to fund uh, politicians who will then end up weakening, uh, you know, regulatory laws. Um, that's where capital lives now because capital itself has become so goopy and uh, deterritorialized that it doesn't even need to, uh, for more than a, a flash of a second, uh, re-territorialize into anything else. Because we like it to be goopy and constantly recirculating and moving. We don't want it to have a stable meaning. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, like, capital really means nothing anymore. Right. Capital it, is... It, it, like, rules every bit of our lives. Yeah, but because the, 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 the fiat currency thing, yeah. because of that greater abstraction and inside of uh, both both the way that markets are, are composed, which is largely due to fiat currency, but, but you know, also due to the... the uh, due to the technology we have around it and the, the fact that these are all technologically embodied things uh, or non-things. <laughs> and it's it's bizarre because uh, capital used to have an inherent connection to uh, the phenomenal, or not the phenomenal, the noumenal world in some way. Mm -hmm. Or at least we could, we could make that jump and say that that might be the case because you end up making a bunch of dishwashers and you sell them. Um, things like that. Uh, you make food, you know, and you sell it. Uh, whereas now, though all that stuff is true, there are fewer and fewer people actually working those jobs. Um, and not that those people are working any less. Um, but uh, there are fewer people working these jobs. And more and more of the um, the actual money building outside of keeping everyone alive to the point that we produce an, an insane amount of waste but still starve people out um, is existing inside of these abstracted systems of, of production. And so, yeah, I mean, capital is, is loosed from its physical bonds, uh, which, again, is a big part of what my uh, thesis is about, uh, <laughs> folks. Um, get around on that one day. We got to do it. Um, <laughs> but so uh, the last example I think that might be important to point out uh, is because we, especially because we've been talking a lot about it over the last couple months, but the Supreme Court oh, is actually yeah. a postmodern system in, sure. in a way that maybe people don't initially understand or maybe, maybe it is immediately obvious. But... So what are what what's like the real disagreement in the Supreme Court like the two schools of thought? So um <laughs> I think I think I'm going to I'm I'm going to use the wrong term but That's, you're going to know what I mean. It'll it'll be funny, I hope. There's there's the textualist, right? Dope, yeah. And I know that I, I know that that one is correct. Yes. And then there's the interp interpretationalists, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I don't give a shit if that's technically right. It's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and it's it's a difference between uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. See, it's it's a total mis mis uh, calculation or misunderstanding of what's yeah. actually going on. Because so all of law, at least on that kind of level, is uh, predicated, and I'm using that word carefully, yes. but it's it's predicated on precedent. Right. right. You something happens, a ruling is made on top of this textual object that apparently matters. It doesn't. Um, it's used as an excuse. Yep. But some kind of ruling is made that, uh, you know, uh, you can only fuck 
a truck driver to death <laughs> if he's worked less than 25 hours uh in the last 27 right it's a it's it's, it's a union thing right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so because we realize that you can only uh or because we've set the precedent that a truck driver can only be fucked to death if he worked uh, less than 25 hours in the last 27 um that's now the general understanding uh and cultural mode uh and logic that you follow forward with and that's more or less how uh these things work um roe versus wade that's really more the case and i know roe versus wade this is one of those examples where where laws are actually uh, put on the books but generally speaking uh even without a law being put on the books it is simply a precedent it's a it's a greater understanding of how to interpret pre-existing law right and actually roe versus wade i think is still one of those um but if you have if you have this understanding and then you have another case that's related to it, right? Even if you uphold our new truck driver rule, <laughs> but then you add on the caveat, well, where, well, this is very anti-truck driver. Yeah, I, well, I mean, that's the, that's the Supreme Court for you. Uh, but you you can only fuck him to death if he's worked less than twenty five in the last twenty seven, <laughs> unless you are just really really horny and then you're allowed to do it because of your own constitutional right yeah. to fuck it's a it's a crime of passion at that point yeah well but, it's, but it's not a crime it's not a crime it's no longer a crime yeah um it's and, passion and passion so of the, the truck driver fucker and the so trucker fucker five more years pass yeah and the precedent now is that you can only fuck a truck driver to death if he has worked less than 25 hours in the last 27 but also sometimes if you're really horny uh, and then we also realize, well, sometimes uh, your own horniness is not the only <laughs> kind of mitigating it's factor. Not the, only, sometimes, not the only metric we can use. <laughs> yeah. You might have. Um, sometimes it's just a really sexy trucker. Well, so- sometimes you, you need to procreate. Oh, right. Right. right, right. And so you, you add that on. And these are all asinine, but but this is ultimately still how precedents and these things work, where where you yeah. have an initial, let's call it a, a, a referent, uh, even though these are all still you know symbols and and, and loose and goopy, but <laughs> goopy, uh, but you start off with something that's real or is believed to be real uh, in a cultural moment, and it is recapitulated and reunderstood and de and reterritorialized in addition so many times that it begins to. And even with that first step that I made, it changed it entirely, right? It, it made it so that it was an entirely new law. But all law and understanding works in this same kind of way, where you have a referent that becomes more and more detached from itself and more and more mediated until it just becomes it, what Baudrillard would refer to as a simulacra, mm-hmm. right? And that is how all of our understanding and all of our interactions in the world ultimately function, especially our historical ones, where George Washington, he's the honest guy. He's the guy that can't lie about cutting down cherry trees and stuff. Yeah, super cool dude that uh, just happened to be a slave owner, you know? 
Yeah, I guess. I, I don't remember <laughs> that being the case, but you know. And no, it was. No, yeah. I know. Right, right. But uh, but you know, people people forget these things, and, and right. things are uh, are kind of reunderstood, and even our understanding of the '80s, right? Because that's the thing we always fall back on. Is Stranger Things? Do you think that's actually a good representation of the '80s? Like even removing no. the monsters and stuff. No, no, no of course it's not. a simulacra. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, all of our interactions well, are simulacra. It's, it's, My phone is a simulacra. You know everything. It's it's but, just like all the you know all the all the people who who want to go back to the good old days, of, which never existed. Yeah, right. the good old days never existed, and you know a lot of what people think the good old days are were uh, horrible days for <laughs> for, for everyone <laughs> and uh, yeah. mostly yeah yeah other people, but. Uh, no, for sure. But um, now, now that we've kind of understood most of this, because I think more or less we have uh, like a good at least ought versus is distinction of what postmodernism is. Yeah. Right. right. Um, I watched a beautiful video earlier today. Oh. Um, and it was. I uh, sent you that in private. But <laughs> if you want to talk about it here, that's fine, too. We're going to we're about to re-territorialize <laughs> that reference, buddy. Um, but uh, it was our, our best friend. Oh, okay. Jordan B. Peterson um, <laughs> having a discussion with um, a seemingly well-meaning, but I haven't read uh, or listened to more of his stuff, and he could easily go either way. But uh, a philosopher by the name of Stephen Hicks, who is um, at least in his training, his formal training, an epistemologist. Um, but I would like to read off some quotes sure, from this, man. but mostly just terminologies uh, or relations between terms that are used by by Peterson. None yeah. of this is by Stephen Hicks. Um, and, and Peterson, who definitely understands what uh, postmodernism is. Right, and hates it. Yeah. And hates it. Because he knows what it is. Right. But he he was <laughs> uh, at, at one point in time, he kind of shut down the conversation this, a little bit. Uh, so, so that he could um, kind of reminisce about a hysterical if you haven't heard it i would never suggest that you listen to something by sam harris and jordan peterson but <laughs> their first conversation together is the most hysterical epistemic clusterfuck um i have to look into that it's I, so I, funny I, it's hysterically funny i have deep deep love for both of these gentlemen <laughs> and so right. I, I would like to to enjoy that uh, that video but the so the the disagreement that they had was that one of them believed that there was objective truth where all other truths are nested. Oh. And that sounds like a modernist or pre-modernist conception, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, not a postmodern conception. Disagreeing with it would be postmodern. Who do you think disagreed with it? Uh, Jordan Peterson. It was Jordan Peterson because Sam Harris, of course, <laughs> believes that kind of shit. Um, and Peterson thinks that he believes it, but doesn't. Yeah. Um, he also referred to uh, using a methodology of uh, kind of a neo-pragmatics, uh, referring to things as being correct enough. What is correct and... Cor correct enough... Uh, is how a postmodernist understands the world. Yeah. Is this something that's correct enough? Um, it's like, it's like it's when also, I say something's good enough for government work. You're right. And, 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 and correct enough, by the way, is also how the scientific method works because, guys, I'm sorry, 
I am so, so, so sorry, but you can still use the scientific method and still be a dirty postmodernist because we all are. Yeah. We all are. Uh, that's where he was referring to the method of proof also being of one that is based on being correct enough. He refers to this correct enough as being a biological functionality as well uh, because he understands that things are based on, uh, and, and I quote, a fundamental ignorance. Right. Okay. <laughs> fundamental ignorance, meaning that we don't understand what reality is like. Yeah. And our uh, perceptions of the world are based on what is correct enough at the moment and evolves over time. And that based on an evolutionary or biological model, which he's clearly using, because of how evolution works, individual spe or creatures with their own umwelts within a species are going to understand things differently. And some are going to be correct enough in different ways. And these things will theoretically kind of recombinate into who is some this, uh, who is this postmodernist philosopher? I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and so, so he's he's uh, he also kind of shat on uh, having uh, normative frameworks as as a baseline, which is the funniest thing I could possibly hear from him because he demands normative frameworks all the time. Yeah, he d he demands normative frameworks, uh, especially with uh with the concept of masculinity uh yeah with, which, with which he doesn't know, pronouns or based yeah, on normative which frameworks which he doesn't live up to like in, in any yeah. sense of of you know bad, his own determination bad guy to be toxically masculine just gonna say right <laughs> um but uh I'm and a big he, strong boy <laughs> and we've already kind of talked about this before but he also um asks a beautiful question <laughs> why does it have to come down to power <laughs> and that's funny for a thousand reasons yeah but the most funny one to me out of those thousand reasons out of those thousand reasons at this moment and this will change is that in all of his weird misconceptions based on his own mis misunderstanding of his own like Wittgensteinian language games he realizes in the Nietzschean sense that power is the only thing that defines meaning in a larger social sense, really. And yet he still asks because he hates Foucault so much. Yeah. <laughs> why does it have to come down to power? Why does it have to come down to power? I, I would like to, uh, to, uh, point out to the listener hmm. um, that I will never give a little talk on Foucault. I might a little bit, but no, I will uh, avoid it. Just that uh, ever since we we started talking, we've been looking at a picture of Jordan Peterson on our screens. Yeah, um, it's it's a good look. He's, he, he has steely eyes, you know. He he does have steely eyes. Uh, very very deep, and he always looks like he's on the verge of crying. And he does often and, yeah. cry when when he's talking. <laughs> Uh, which is, I'm sure is a sign of like a uh, very stable, like mental, uh, uh, uh -huh. he's just very stable. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the stablest. Yeah. The stablest boy. 
He's the stablest boy. As, as he talks about like what masculinity is and how important the, the traditional uh, sense of masculinity is to our society and uh, also completely misunderstanding what postmodernism is and oh God, also yeah. being a postmodernist himself uh, by all technical means. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes I argue with myself because given the fact that he is a postmodernist, he's, he's, he's allotted the uh, the intellectual permissions to do this but he's sometimes just a modernist but only because he is a postmodernist in his heart <laughs> yeah <laughs> he no, swaps it, between them that that's the problem with, with him is is he He's not technically one or the other, I think. Right. And, it, and it's mostly People because he has no are. idea what the fuck he's saying. Right. Well, l- l- like I've said uh, a few times, I mean, modernism can be an is distinction. And in fact, kind of definitely is or, yeah, or yeah, necessarily sure. is an is distinction. But that's the thing that makes moderniz- modernism versus postmodernism so confusing to people, which is that very few, if any people, use postmodernism as an ought distinction yeah. uh, it's simply an is distinction whereas modernism right. the thing that it's theoretically responding to at least when we use this horrible um kind of linguistic game um uh, modernism is an is and an ought distinction um but someone actually did ask me on on my uh, my instagram uh Uh-oh. to cover this thing i i hate they have to cover, but they're they're right, <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> because they they were saying that they can't find any good definitions of this thing, and it's because there isn't one. But I will try. Uh, it'll be briefer than the postmodernism uh, one. What what? Mm. Uh, give me the term, and I'll I'll see if I can synthesize. Oh, a, yeah. a definition for it. There there are there are two terms, but I believe that they are more or less identical. I'm, if I'm they're gonna, not, I'm someone yell warn at me you ahead of time. I'm just gonna. I'm going to make up some bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can determine something. All but right. <laughs> it is either meta or post-postmodernism. So meta-modernism or meta-postmodernism or post-postmodernism. So meta-postmodernism or post-postmodernism. Oh, man. What yeah. is post-postmodernism? Post-postmodernism. Uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> where it's where you re, you return to uh to a sense of modernism and uh and, and factualness uh it's it's uh it's not bad so far yeah <laughs> I, I i wasn't i wasn't prepared for for how convoluted <laughs> that question was going to be honestly okay so post postmodernism can certainly have that and it's it's part of what it entails um but more importantly uh it it it's something that comes more or less per my understanding from the the uh, acolytes of david foster wallace oh no <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least i think metamodernism uh uh but I, like i said i don't think there's a difference between these m- multiple terms and concepts um but post-postmodernism is, in short, the acceptance of the postmodern condition that then seeks to produce a new sincerity, 
and an attempt to be genuine and to seek out the same kinds of um, virtues and um, and ethical non-ironism that modernism may have had. So it's not necessarily a bad idea, but it is a hysterically shitty term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, really, that the, the, the fact that the response to postmodernism is, in fact, like you were guessing, um, simply to, to accept what's happening here, but then to return to a previous state, just proves that the absolute weakening of history and the collapse of meta-narratives and the cancellation of the future and the non-existence of the present, that all of these things just mean that postmodernism has won and we're stuck still in an ontological cycle. Damn it. Right? Fuck! Goddamn. And so that's really what's happening to Peterson, right? Is that he is a postmodernist that's caught in a ontological cycle, uh, <laughs> and he's looking into himself in a Jungian way and trying to find something that is genuine uh, and sincere, which is why he cries all the fucking time too. Um, some I've got kind a lot of, of emotions, <laughs> so, so, some kind of a, an avatar within himself that he can use in order to bring back modernist virtues I and and clean his room. Really. He can clean his room, but the problem is that just like noumena in the physical world and affecting phenomena, which then leads to your own strange perceptions of a strange world, his external postmodernism leaks in to what he thinks that is modern or pre-modern and it warps it into being postmodern itself he can't escape it no one can someone also asked me what comes after this i don't know acid communism <laughs> that's that's a fisherian thing um i think you mean a fully automated uh gay communism yeah the, the fact that everyone wants to go into communism and you guys know by this point in time that we are both very far left um but i'm actually uh oh no i'm actually a right-wing plant oh i'm in nazbol too actually uh <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. no. we're, we're, we're left and right at the uh, same time we do have to have that talk about nazbol yeah we do I've, yeah we, we still I've have to cover uh more yeah. into nazbol's so and Man, I'm not impressed. <laughs> it's rough, dude. Yeah. I mean, Dugan is charming in a weird way when he's not saying that we yeah, should murder Dugan. students. But And then, and then uh, like, the uh, the YouTubers that are rising up as Nazbulls are just fucking great. Mike, you're just too weak to be part of the teleocracy or the teleocracy or whatever the fuck. Dude, I um, don't know what that, that word means. <laughs> I don't know what that word means, but I shit on the teleocracy. I, I, I guess you're just a part of the thesaliocracy or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I'm just matter whatever that is if it's, that's if that's the cool it's, version of it's literally it's literally him drawing a distinction between land people and sea people it's fucking oh, dumb Jesus Christ. Um, but what, uh what? but uh fuck there, what was i gonna say no there sea though? people <laughs> i'm just gonna throw that out there no like the japanese and stuff 
Those are those are fossilly uh, crotatopatics no, or something. No, they're not sea people at all. They, they have a fucking country that they live on. Yeah, that's true. They have they're land that people. they fucking um, but exist God on. God damn it. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Mike and I are pretty far left, even oh, even yeah. if we are Nazbols, which we are. Uh, but Nazbols oh, are, no, no, you know, no, that's, 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 that. that's like fourth positionalist, right? <laughs> I, I, uh, fifth <laughs> positionalist. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so we're both pretty far left, but at the same time, the fact that everyone is so obsessed with going into fully automated space communism, that's just a fantasy from the 80s yeah. that's recapitulated yep. again. And communism, socialism, fucking cool. Anarchism, cool. Syndicalism, cool. All that shit is dope, but you need to fucking think of something new. Because that's the only way that anything will ever happen. We're not going to become communists. It's not going to happen. It is epistemically, right now, impossible. There needs to be something else. Socialism, in, you know, uh, collusion with uh, capitalism, I use that word carefully, uh, is, sure, uh, possible and something we should chase after uh, in route got, to something else. It's got potential. But 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 the ultimate goal can't be any of these pre-established ideas. It just can't be. No, we, we, we've... Uh, I mean, obviously, if, if they would have worked, they would have worked by now. So... And the thing is, the, the worst part about all this, and I am a determinist, so I don't believe that anything else could have happened, but... Really, in a totally theoretical space, communism, anarchism, fascism, capitalism, all of these these things could work. You know, they're just dependent <laughs> on, you know, enough human beings all agreeing that they can yeah. work together. But the fact is that we we collapsed all of the good opportunities for communism. It's weird how as soon as a nation begins to uh, move sufficiently leftward, like uh, a CIA uh, assassination ends up collapsing their economy. Um, Which is, and that's uh, one of the faults of communism, really. Uh, <laughs> to, to be fair, yes. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, it's... I mean, yeah, it's what we can look forward to in the uh, the Biden administration. <laughs> right. is, I mean, one of the greatest a better return to uh, <laughs> a return to normal who was assassinating yeah. d- democratically elected uh, uh, better better coups. Yeah, um, but you know, also to 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 be clear and fair, um, it's interesting how uh, uh, horizontalist. Uh, anarchic situations never work when the communists that help them come about uh, murder all of them as well. That, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's weird how that doesn't work either. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, these, these both of these things happen for a reason, uh, if, if you think about the way that human beings are interacting and stuff. Uh, these are all faulty so, so ideologies. Like a power thing? Maybe? It's a power yeah. thing. It's weird. Oh, it's, okay. all, it's like, uh, Shit. but you know, you really have to ask, uh, why does it have to come to down to power? You know? <laughs> uh, That's what I was hoping we'd return to. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Jordan Peterson, fucking scholar elite. Yeah. But you know, <sighs> We'll, we'll we'll have to do another good take on uh, drawing out schizoanalysis and D and re-territorializing because I feel like that yeah we, we touched on it uh, but but there's obviously oh, more yeah. there but like in 
in a, re- a, a decent deep dive into it could really explain what I think are some of the only possible tools um, outside of some insane accelerationism or Fisher's incomplete acid communism uh, project, which it will never be completed because he sadly has been dead for years. Uh, Wait, Mark Fisher died? Yeah, he killed himself. I didn't know that. Yep. Dude. Yep. That's this whole time I, you've been you've been telling me to like look into his fucking work and yep. and you didn't even you didn't even fucking reveal like the the sad like you had to feel it you had to look into his work a little bit and then really feel it I already had to deal with fucking Kurt Cobain man and and now you're laying this other one yep. with me well one of these guys could have helped us <laughs> <laughs> but um, but outside out outside of you know these two strange things that came out of the cybernetic culture research unit both of them still come from that um which by the way we we have a we have a shirt we, yeah we we, the, we have uh, a ccru inspired uh, shirt that i yeah. hope urbanomic doesn't sue which us is, over which is completely uh, unreadable uh, yeah it is which, it's very which hard i to think read. is is the right way for it to be <laughs> and will save us from a lawsuit uh, but uh but the the only other options outside of those two are just going back to a uh, Deleuze and Guattari and doing a, a, a schizoanalytic deterritorializing, reterritorializing scheme where we re-understand the way that all of the world and our epistemology and our ontology is, is constructed so that we can find new ways and new solutions to problems that are not reliant upon the same recapitulation of shit that happened half a fucking century ago. Yeah, and I mean, like one of the one of the best arguments for that is uh, the the gut reaction when anybody hears the word communism, right? Is uh, so severe. Uh, whether you're whether you're for it or against it, it's it's such a, a visceral kind of yeah. reaction. Yeah. And so, like, just on that facet alone, we need to maybe think of a new way to uh, dis- describe this. Yeah. Although, At the very least, new ways of describing. Yeah. Uh, uh, my 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 life goal is to uh, create a commune, though. Yeah. And uh, if you hate that idea, you're not welcome. <laughs> I uh, I don't hate that idea. Yeah, I know I know you uh, don't, but I'm just saying, like, if if any of the listener no. uh, hates that idea, you're not welcome. So <laughs> that's that's fair. Get that's the a fair. fuck out of my commune, bro, <laughs> girl, um, lady, we, man. We've gone on for a while. How, how how long has this been? Uh, we're about at uh, uh, hour fifty two. All uh, right, we, hey. we could definitely end it here. Well, uh, I mean, is there is there more st- more stuff we want to go over? Was no, I no, unclear no. I, about I, I anything? Think, uh, or do we I have more stuff? I think what we can do uh-huh. is end it here. And if any of the listener wants to uh, to ask us questions about maybe things oh, yeah. that we didn't cover enough, please do. Then uh, yeah, please uh, inbox us on our uh, on our uh, Instagrams. Um, I'm at Benzo Rehab Dungeon. And uh, I am at Dank Deleuze. Yeah. So uh, if if we didn't cover something enough uh, or you would like something maybe explained a little bit further. Or if you have some new cultural movement that will save us from our current uh, torpor. Yeah. If you got that, for, for sure, uh, share that with us. Um, read Bataille. He probably has the answers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think I think I, we're uh, I think we're good here. Yeah, I think we're good. But I I, I will uh, uh, say that as November ends uh, and the first month of my workshop uh, is coming to a close, 
Uh, I have uh, found that it's been necessary to adjust the Patreon tiers a bit, uh, even more than I did last time. So it is finally, uh, as of tomorrow morning, all of the tiers are stable. Rather than having a confusing series of eight of them, uh, there are now only three. uh, And uh, for... A mere $5 a session, you can get into all of the sessions um, uh, throughout the month uh, rather than having to sort them out independently. If you pay for any sessions at all, you're uh, welcome to come to all of the workshops. Uh, and then there are other tiers if you just uh, want to listen to the podcast and get the reading materials and stuff, or if you just want the reading materials uh, and the prompts uh, independent of having to listen to my lectures. Um all of this stuff is, is far more available. There's a lot more packed in. You have to pay a lot less money for uh, for those things. And uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're people are loving it this first month. And I'm uh, hoping more people will jump yeah, on board. Been, uh, it's been good. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Oh, and that's uh, Patreon. Uh, and uh, it's Truncata. T-R-U-N-C-A-T-A. Uh, and if you have any questions about that, also uh, go ahead and hit me up on the Instagram. Yep. Um, also, there there is a Patreon set up for oh, for fine. the uh, the Benzo Rehab Dungeon. Um, as always, the the Benzo Rehab Dungeon will be a free broadcast. Uh, but this is mostly just uh, to help recoup any uh, costs that, that I've incurred. Uh, with with all the subscriptions that I need to maintain, microphones, in order to, and shit. yeah, microphones, preamp, uh, yeah, all the all the equipment that I've that I've uh, put money into, um, and subscription services that I need to uh, maintain in order to keep broadcasting this. So, uh, absolutely no uh, no uh, no pressure, no pressure, but uh, would be appreciated. Um, with that, I think uh, I think this is it. Uh, we love you. Please take your medicine. Please take mine too. <laughs>